All aboard the History Express. My name is Donnie Hazel, and I am your host. To all my original listeners, welcome back. To all my new listeners, welcome. We hope you enjoy this episode of the History Express podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. At the end of the 19th century, the Danish king Christian IX and his queen Louisa succeeded in marrying their six children into the leading European royal families. And Christian IX thus became known as the father-in-law of Europe. Today, his family are all over Europe. And these royal descendants have, quite exceptionally, chosen to come together and talk about their family's incredible story a story that has been passed down to them through the generations. In addition, this great royal family has also made private photos and films available, many of which have never been seen in public before. This episode is about Christian IX's daughter, Alexandra, and her descendants, who have now sat on the British throne for over a hundred years. As a result of problems with the Danish line of succession, Prince Christian has been declared heir to the throne. His oldest daughter, Princess Alexandra, is now 14 years old, and the family reside in the Yellow Palace in Copenhagen. They didn't have a lot of money, so their lives were modest. Um, she became, therefore, very capable. Uh, she made her own clothes, she was able to help in the house. On the staff's day off, she would be able to cook and help prepare like she practical like that. Prince Christian and Princess Louisa are very close to their children and they decide to teach them at home. Their mother taught them English, divinity, uh, music, I think, and their father taught them drawing, gymnastics. Of the four siblings she has thus far, Alexandra is closest to her sister, Dagmar. The two girls, who share a modest room, are completely unaware that one day they will be married to Europe's two most powerful sovereigns. In England, around 1860, Queen Victoria begins to think about who her eldest son, 19-year-old Prince Edward, known as Bertie, shall marry. Edward had already refused, I think, six or seven princes, saying, this one is ugly, this one is cross-eyed, this one is fat. Well, many reasons not to marry them. I think he wanted to go on with his bachelor's life. And also, because he was rather naughty and was, mm, well, a bit of a debauchee, already it was difficult to find a princess. My great-grandfather was not the most polished character at that age, and it was thought that he had to be married to somebody who would make him happy on the basis that an unhappy um, um, heir to the throne would perhaps lead to the country being unstable, ultimately. So when Queen Victoria hears a rumor that the Russian Tsar is interested in having Princess Alexandra of Denmark as his daughter-in-law, she immediately requests that a photograph of the princess be sent to her. Denmark was a small power. And I think that one of the reasons why Denmark was a sick acceptable was that uh, someone who came from Denmark, there would be no strings attached. It was not a major power. Queen Victoria receives the portrait, and she is impressed by what she sees. 
she was sent Pud Alexandra for approval to Windsor, and she remained one or two weeks alone with Queen Victoria in the Windsor to be examined and see if she would fit. She must have been terrified. Queen Victoria was utterly charmed by her. She was natural, she was light, she was attractive, she was um, very, uh, she had wonderful presence. Um, everybody adored her. But Queen Victoria was very worried that she wouldn't take to Bertie, her son. The heir himself is not best pleased. He has just, in all secrecy, begun an affair with an Irish actress. Yet he accepts his mother's decision, and after having met Alexandra on a couple of occasions, he becomes somewhat enamored of her and can soon write a letter that pleases his mother. I proposed to the princess, and she said yes. I cannot tell you how grateful I am. I still feel as if everything is a dream. She came here on the strict understanding that she had no lady-in-waiting or no uh, maid even from Denmark for fear that the two of them would talk together in Danish, a language which nobody else understood, and this would be disruptive, and they might plot and plan things. She really liked Edward very much and they were really in love, but I think for her it was not so easy to come to a sort of a big court where it wasn't a small, tiny living together like in Copenhagen. So she had to get used to a different life. Queen Victoria appears at the wedding dressed in black, as she is still in mourning for her husband who died a year ago. She does not wish to mix with the guests in the church and thus observes the wedding ensconced in her box. The ceremony goes according to plan. Yet in the middle of everything, Alexandra catches sight of her four-year-old nephew, the later Kaiser Wilhelm II, crawling around, biting two of his kilt-clad uncles on the knee. An hour after the wedding, Queen Victoria allows herself to be photographed sitting between the newlyweds and beside a bust of her dead princely husband. Alexandra and Edward move into Marlborough House, which the prince had received on his 18th birthday. And despite the fact that the building is not in very good condition, Princess Alexandra quickly becomes enamored of her beautiful London residence. The drains were frightful, uh, to the extent even that a lot of the people in the house got, were caught typhoid. And typhoid was a terrible killer in those days. It was rat infested. The plumbing was beyond all belief. Um, it was overheated. The cellars um, were so overheated that they lost in one year 1,500 pounds worth of wine. This is in the 1860s. Alexandra gives birth to her first child two months too early. A tragic destiny awaits the little prince, who within the family is known as Eddie. The royal couple travel to Denmark to show off their firstborn. The couple not only meet their own family in Denmark, but also the Russian heir to the throne, who is present to request Alexandra's sister's hand in marriage. Edward cannot sit still. He is occupied from morning to evening, either riding, sailing, playing billiards or parlor games. And the Danish cabinet secretary notes that the Russian and English courts behave very differently. I remember one evening in particular, in which the Prince of Wales had arranged that old game of changing seats. He and his companions played with such unparalleled energy that my crown property sensitive heart watched with horror as one fine old chair after another was broken in two. And the Russian gentleman observed these goings on in complete astonishment. In Britain, Alexandra quickly becomes popular. I think she was very much loved, very much respected, and very much admired, but also because of her beauty. 
She had, I think, what uh, one would call real glamour, though in those days the word, I don't think, believe, I don't believe the word existed, but she really was extraordinarily beautiful. She invented new maquillage, royalties maquillage. She was the first one to understood that you have a royalty has to be seen from far. So what do you do? You paint yourself, but much more than if you are seen from near. So she painted a lot of red, pink, anything. And she understood also that your face had to be seen. So no big hats, so they can see your face from far. She invented also diet. Alexandra is hard of hearing. And as a result of one of her pregnancies, she also develops a problem with one of her legs. She had a limp, which because she was such a popular figure and always so wonderfully turned out, became a fad and people copied the limp. Within the space of five years, Alexandra produces five children. Amongst the children is Prince George, who many years later will be king, even though he is not the oldest son. Alexandra, who became deaf so very early on, must have been very cut off from people in general. I'm sure that part of her possessiveness and, and her sort of almost clinging to her children may have been that she was, in, I suppose, in a way, a, a lonely person, as the way, the way deaf people can be frightfully lonely. Yet the hard-of-hearing Alexandra isolates herself with her children, who she is very close to. Alexandra brought up her children also in a very loving and close way. It was nowhere near what the then courts of Europe used to do, having uh, nannies bring up the children until they were presentable and then presenting them. They used to romp with her and, and uh, she let them run wild, really. They used to have sort of soda siphon fights and all sorts of things like that. These children, messing about left, right and centre, were pretty much a shock and a, and a horror to their grandmother. Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria does not pass on even the smallest official engagement to her son. And the intelligent heir does not find it easy having so little to do. In 1870, his active nightlife in London begins to create problems. The heir to the throne is dragged into court by a man who accuses him of having an affair with his 21-year-old wife. In 1875, he decides to travel to India, which belongs to the British crown. It has long been Alexandra's dream to travel to such distant, exotic countries, but her husband will not take her with him. Alone, he takes off on a nine-month tour and in India, he spends a lot of time big game hunting, tigers and elephants being particular favorites. Whilst in India, he is incensed to read in a newspaper that his mother has decided to make herself Empress of India and that nobody has told him anything about it. Edward and Alexandra do not have an easy marriage. There was no intellectual base, really, between the two. And uh, as she got older and she got more deaf, she tended to concentrate on those things which made her comfortable. Her children, her dogs, her flowers. And um, his eye began to wander, I think. But she was never, je never jealous. She despised jealousy. And um, whenever there was a new lady, she would always be very gracious to her. In 1877, Edward begins an affair with the beautiful daughter of a priest, Lily Langtry. The affair lasts three years, and by its end, she has become one of England's most famous actresses. Alexandra devotes a lot of time to her many dogs, and they are buried in the garden of Marlborough House when they die. Amongst her favorite dogs are Togo, given to Alexandra by the Empress of Japan, and Beauty, a gift from the Russian Tsar. A number of the dogs are stuffed and mounted, 
and the Russian court jeweler, Fabergé, makes small models of the pets. The favorite rabbit is given its own gravestone in the garden. She loved animals and people adored her. And as they knew she liked animals, they gave her animals. And she had, um, oh, she had, they had tigers. They had all sorts of animals at Sandringham and they had a sort of menagerie there in the end. Alexandra is approaching 45 years of age and despite having given birth to a large number of children, she is still amazingly slim. On the other hand, the fact that Edward seldom consumes less than 12 courses for dinner every evening is beginning to show. At a traveling fair, the main attraction is a man who, due to a rare illness, has been born with a massively deformed face. He is known as the Elephant Man. One day, Alexandra visits the traveling fair. He was a monster who was exhibited in a fair as an object of curiosity. She went to talk to him as he was a normal person. How, why, and what do you do? He couldn't believe he was, she was the first person who treated him as a human being. And eventually he was taken into care in a hospital in London, where even the nurses were so frightened of his appearance that they wouldn't go into his room. Alexandra came along, was completely unfazed, and looked after him and uh, went to see him very often. They struck up something of a friendship, and, um, uh, which lasted for the rest of his life. Alexandra focuses all her love on her two sons, Eddie and George. She does not have the same interest in her three daughters. They are normally all dressed the same, and always in a way that does not compete with their mother. Eddie, who is born to one day be King of Britain, is a late developer, and he has difficulty concentrating. His cadet training has been a fiasco and his father despises his feminine dress. Tight clothes, unusually large collars, and extra long cuffs. Yet in this Victorian stronghold of conservatism, one doesn't speak about why he seems to prefer dressing this way. The family attempts to marry Eddie off, and they manage to arrange an engagement with a distant cousin, Princess Mary of Tech. The wedding is arranged, but Eddie is struck down by influenza a few weeks before he is due to get married. His condition deteriorates, and he dies four days later. Alexandra is shattered by the news and writes to her parents, Today I have buried my angel, and with him my happiness. He died in the arms of Mary, and then Queen Victoria said, now, what do we do with Mary? Oh, she marries the second one. So after being engaged to the first one, she became the wife of the second boy. The wedding takes place in 1893. And although the marriage between the pair, who one day are to be king and queen, begins in unusual circumstances, it nonetheless proves to be happy. Edward's nephew has now become the German Kaiser, Wilhelm II. And Wilhelm, who at Edward and Alexandra's wedding crawled around biting his uncles on the knee, is very ambitious. I think he tried to show the world that even Germany is a strong country. He had a complex somehow to show the world that even Germany can do world politics, and that was his mistake. Wilhelm is extremely suspicious and fearing that his English-born mother will end up supporting the British, he has her placed under observation. During these years, Edward devotes a lot of time to yacht racing, and he's especially interested in the Cowes Regatta, held off the coast of southern England. Yet his interest diminishes when Kaiser Wilhelm begins turning up to the regatta in his gilded yacht, Hohenzollern. The two combatants despise each other, but nonetheless continue to sail against each other for many summers to come. In 
Edward describes his nephew as history's most glorious mistake, whilst Wilhelm calls his uncle an old peacock. One year, Wilhelm turns up with a new yacht, which he has had built. Wilhelm's yacht uh, was at that time a copy of uh, the Britannia, um, but only bigger. This is too much for Edward, who will never race competitively again. Queen Victoria has now been on the throne for 60 years and her jubilee is celebrated in magnificent fashion. Alexandra loves charity events, so she welcomes the opportunity to arrange a meal for 400,000 poor people. London is the world's largest city and the center of an enormous empire. Smog is beginning to be a problem. People use coal to heat their homes, and this pollutes the atmosphere, which leads to many deaths from respiratory diseases. The use of electric lighting is on the increase, and horse-drawn buses fill the streets. And horses play an important role in Edward's life, too. Amongst much else, the horse is irreplaceable when hunting. Edward occasionally spends a little too much money, but he also understands how to make it, not least on the horses. He breeds racehorses and is fortunate enough to win the derby on a number of occasions, which on top of the cash prize also contributes to increasing his popularity amongst the public. In 1900, a year in which he brings home 31,000 pounds from the derby, Alexandra and Edward visit Denmark, as they have done so many times previously. They travel via Brussels to Copenhagen by royal train. However, something unexpected takes place at the station in Brussels. A young anarchist, Belgian anarchist, uh, entered the, the, uh, the train uh, and drew out a, um, a handgun and, start, and fired at Edward and Alexandra, uh, missing them uh, only to shoot between their, their, their heads, so to say. He was nevertheless caught and, and stopped and uh, nobody was injured. The 15-year-old assassin wants to take the life of the heir to the throne because of the British involvement in the Boer War in South Africa. Queen Victoria dies, aged 82, and Edward arranges an awe-inspiring funeral. And from the very first day, he appears extremely confident in his new role as King Edward VII. Edward and Alexandra move into Buckingham Palace, and Edward does not have a single evening free of duties in his first year as king. His list of official engagements and events he attends is without compare. The custom was to eat at quite a long table, and the king and queen sat in the middle, not at the end. And there were a large number of courses, probably a dozen, and quite small, and the king and queen, of course, were served first at the same moment, and then he came round the table. And the unimportant people were at the end. And the moment the king and queen had finished, uh, they, their plates were taken away, and so were everybody else's. So the people at the end, the junior people, got nothing to eat whatsoever, had to go back afterwards and have sandwiches in a room. Only after his mother has been dead a year does Edward allow himself a break. He spends a week incognito in Paris, but not with Queen Alexandra as his companion. Instead, he's accompanied by his mistress, Alice Keppel. She has become Edward's permanent, unofficial companion, and they are seen together regularly. And she manages to create such a good impression that even Alexandra accepts her. And this will be underlined many years later. She must have been an extraordinary lady because uh, to come into this country and become the queen of this country, to have this defect, not being able to hear very well, you know, it couldn't have been very easy for her. And her, her husband was a very active man, 
And um, that wasn't, couldn't have been very easy for her either. But uh, she survived all that. She must have been quite an extraordinary lady. Edward also demonstrates his interest in beautiful women at the opera one day. My uncle, Prince Felix Yusupov, was in London and his mother was away and his mother's jewels were legendary, apparently better than the Romanov jewels. And he decided he'd dress as a woman and go to the opera dressed in her jewels and a beautiful gown. And he turned up and Alec, um, Edward the uh, seventh, who had an eye for the women, saw this beautiful woman across the opera house and wanted to be introduced after the uh, performance. And so Felix was introduced, and of course the whole thing um, came apart because he realised it was Felix and there was a, a small scandal as a result. The annual summer trip to visit her family in Denmark means a lot to Alexandra. On her arrival this year, she is met by her father, Christian IX, and other members of the royal family. Alexandra always looks especially forward to meeting her sister, Dagmar, who is now Tsarina in Russia. They were very attached to their roots and very attached to each other. And of course they lived in very, very far apart. St. Petersburg and, 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 and London is a very long far away from each other. And in those days before the telephone, I mean, you would write letters and they would take some time to get there. So being here was very important. The sisters especially enjoy spending time together with their father, who for many years now has been known as the father-in-law of Europe, and with the brother, who is king in Athens. Their younger brother, uh, Wilhelm, uh, who was living in Greece, was even further away than, than these two sisters. So at least, uh, if, only for, if only for that reason everybody wanted to, be, to meet in Denmark. It was the, the, the easiest place to be because there they were all on, on the same level. Their parents were the king and the queen, and these were just the younger generation. They were a very cheerful family. They liked jokes, they liked to laugh. They were also rather sentimental. They, they loved a good cry. They simply liked each other's company. I think they preferred each other's company to anybody else's. Edward has become increasingly tired of the many family reunions. Yet a tour in an automobile is always tempting. Alexandra, her sister Dagmar, and Tsar Nicholas also go along for the drive. Edward's coronation is planned for the end of June 1902, yet 12 days before he's due to be invested, Edward is taken seriously ill whilst at Windsor. The illness turns out to be appendicitis, and this is at a time when only two successful operations to remove the appendix have been carried out in the entire country. The coronation is cancelled with two days' notice as the king is close to death. A special train takes him to London, where surgeons are waiting to operate on him in a specially equipped operating theatre in Buckingham Palace. King Edward becomes the third Briton to survive an appendicitis operation. Edward makes a quick recovery, and the coronation can take place in August. 56-year-old Alexandra, who is still considered as Europe's most beautiful queen, is wearing a modern dress, which clearly has no connection with the style adopted at previous coronation ceremonies. She had a great dress sense. Um, for example, she more or less designed her own coronation robes. And she said of her milliners and her dressmakers, I know more about it than any of them. I shall wear exactly what I like and so shall my ladies, Buster. London's population is enraptured by the sight of the monarch and his popular queen. She had wonderful attributes, everybody adored her. Um, but she could be quite headstrong, quite stubborn. And she was famously unpunctual. Everybody was always waiting for her. She was late for her coronation. King Edward was waiting. Finally, he rolled his grand mantle, rushed the staircase, went into the boudoir, and said, Alexandra, Alex, Alex, do you want to be crowned, yes or no? And Alex appeared beautifully, 
but yes, my dear, why, uh, why we go now? Covered in, in jewels and very elegant. Empress Dagmar and Queen Alexandra, when their parents had both died, felt that they would still want to be able to go to Denmark, but they did not want only to be able to stay as guests of their uh, brother and sister-in-law, probably because they didn't enjoy their sister-in-law that much. So they'd bought a house for themselves. They'd bought a very large villa on the coast just outside Copenhagen, which is called Vizur. Vizur is a modest villa compared with the accommodation the two sisters normally live in. It is not only Alexandra who enjoys the simple life in Denmark. The Tsarina also sets great store in the easily manageable conditions. What do I need with my 400 rooms in the Gatchina Palace? I never use more than two. They have the legend, East, West, Home is Best, engraved over the fireplace in the drawing room. And it's here that they spend time together at least once a year. Edward was not very fond of uh, and sort of the Danish court at uh, that time. So he um, he stayed only one night in Vidura and then he had, had definitely had enough. Edward speaks many languages and through the years he has built up a comprehensive network of contacts abroad. With Edward as king, foreign policy is given a whole new emphasis. For many years, Britain's foreign policy has been influenced by Queen Victoria's feelings for her family in Germany. Yet Edward is nervous at the thought of what his nephew, the German Kaiser, might decide to do. Edward therefore decides to establish alliances as a counter to the ever more dominant Germany. I think King Edward was a pretty effective king. The famous Entente Cordiale between England and France was very much uh, something which he was the architect of. After reaching an agreement with France, which resolves the colonial disagreements between the two countries, Edward achieves a similar deal with Russia. So the three countries now stand side by side on international questions. In Germany, Kaiser Wilhelm is angered by the new alliances, and at a dinner is heard to state, My uncle Edward is a devil. Nobody knows how big a devil he is. Edward has created the alliances in an attempt to maintain peace in Europe, but he is not given the opportunity to find out if his efforts ultimately prove successful. After nine years on the throne, Edward dies of a lung infection in 1910. When he died, his last mistress uh, was brought by the queen, I think, to his bedside when he, when he was dying. It says something for all of them. For days, Edward's favorite and ever-faithful dog lies howling outside the door of the deceased king's bedroom. My great-grandfather had a little dog called Caesar, which was a terrier, and it actually took part in the funeral procession. At the impressive funeral, the faithful dog joins the procession immediately behind the casket as it moves through the streets of London. The year is 1910, and the monarchy is now made up of King George V and Queen Mary. George had inherited Mary on the death of his eldest brother. The couple have five sons and a daughter, and the king is very strict. My grandfather, King George V, was an interesting figure, I think, Probably everyone was rather scared of him. I don't think Queen Mary was, because I think he relied on her enormously. They were a very, I believe, a very devoted couple. And I think he needed that kind of reassurance, and indeed that love, uh, that, that she gave him. Tensions continue to increase in Europe not least in the Balkans, where nationalism is on the rise. In May 1913, 
King George V meets with his two cousins, Germany's Kaiser Wilhelm and Russia's Tsar Nicholas at a family reunion in Germany. The following year, they are the leading figures in a war that will result in incredible human suffering. The heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne is traveling through Sarajevo when he and his consort are murdered by a Serbian nationalist. Austro-Hungary immediately declares war on Serbia and this sets off a chain reaction over the whole of Europe. Kaiser Wilhelm, who is allied to Austro-Hungary, is the first to react. When Germany declares war on Russia because of the Serbian affair, France steps in immediately, England steps in a day later or two days later, not more than that. Probably there was a hope that the th whole thing will come out somehow and the war will be stopped. But the Germans didn't want to stop the war. The First World War is very hard on George V who travels constantly to encourage the troops. The USA enters the war on the side of Britain and her allies in 1917, and the following year, Kaiser Wilhelm realizes that Germany cannot win the war. He abdicates and flees to the Netherlands. After four years of war, approximately 10 million people have been killed. A series of peace accords and treaties results in the drawing of a new map of Europe. Poland is re-established. The Austro-Hungarian Empire is split up, resulting in two new countries, Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia. Russia is divided up into a number of states, and Turkey appears out of the former Ottoman Empire. Even though it's difficult to see, Queen Alexandra is now 80 years old and extremely isolated by almost total deafness. Throughout the years, her daughter Victoria has always been with her as a kind of lady-in-waiting. She was, I think, a very possessive mother. One of her daughters never married, whether because she never wanted to marry or more because her, her mother wanted her there all the time. I think that's very possible. And then in the end, she became an old maid, not much loved by the rest of the family, I'm afraid. Alexandra dies of a heart attack a few days before her 81st birthday. George V has lost his mother, but immediately gains a grandchild who he becomes very fond of. It is a girl who, although she has not been born for a life at Buckingham Palace, will come to reign over Britain for more than 50 years as Queen Elizabeth II. As a six-year-old, Princess Elizabeth can hear her grandfather's voice on a crystal set. George V has just introduced a new tradition, an annual Christmas radio address to the nation. I speak now from my home and from my heart to you all. Like the rest of the family, Elizabeth and her sister Margaret are as yet unaware of the fact that their parents will soon become King and Queen of Britain. In his final years, George V becomes ever more introspective. He was rather hypochondriac. And I remember going to say goodbye to him once at, at Windsor in April or something, I don't know. But I did have hay fever and I used to sneeze the moment the grass gave off pollen. <clears throat> and I sneezed before doing that. Get that damn child away! And all that kind of thing went on. But it was disconcerting at the age of ten or something to be yelled at by your grandfather. Or to be yelled at by the king even though he was your grandfather. <laughs> Earl Harwood is one of George V's grandchildren and the owner of Harwood House in Yorkshire. The Earl has organized opera festivals around the world for over 50 years.
flags at Buckingham Palace are lowered to half-mast on a grey January day. King George V is dead. His oldest son, Edward, will now be known as King Edward VIII. He's 41 years old and unmarried. Yet for many years, the new king has been in love with a married American woman, Wallace Simpson. She wasn't very popular, I think, but she spoiled his life completely. Shortly after Edward takes the throne, Wallace Simpson is divorced for a second time, and Edward is in no doubt. Now he will marry her. His government first would not accept a marriage with an American woman and a divorcee for that. And uh, I think at the moment when he had to make a choice, uh, King Edward VIII chose his heart and not uh, what was his duty. Edward VIII accepts the consequences of his actions and abdicates. I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love. Edward's mother, Queen Mary, is devastated. I think it hit her very strongly. I think that she, in a way, never recovered from it. I never heard her talk about it. Edward and Wallace settle in France, where they also choose to marry. None of his close relations were prepared to come and be his best man, uh, and that none of them would come to the wedding. And I think that hit him very hard. The couple will never live in Britain. Edward's younger brother is suddenly forced to take the throne. Completely unprepared and somewhat unsure of himself, he is now King George VI. Fortunately, he is supported by his queen, Elizabeth, who will later become known as the Queen Mother. She's seen, and people now talk about it as if she was more prepared, perhaps, than, than he was. The two of them first met as children, and they have maintained their friendship ever since. From childhood, George had been hampered by a stutter, and this had made him very shy. Yet with the help of a speech therapist and the support of his wife, his public speaking improves. He was the Duke of York, and the life of the Duke of York was probably exactly what he had dreamt of, finding himself all of a sudden as uh, king and emperor uh, was, I'm sure, just as much a shock to him as it was to the British people. The coronation takes place the following year, and the page boys are expected to prepare thoroughly for the great ceremony, including the king's nephew, the young Harwood. We had rehearsal, and of course that was rather fun, because one got away from school to do it, and people told one what to do, and you walked and you stood and you got instructions. Uh, it were rehearsed as if you were going to be in a play. After the coronation, Elizabeth and Margaret join their parents on the balcony of Buckingham Palace. George VI is happiest when spending time together with his family, and whenever possible, he likes to potter around in his garden. He used, when one went to see him from school or something, he used to, to go around in the garden, uh, digging at plants and pulling things up and all that kind of thing. He was very keen about it, serious gardener. On the 3rd of September, 1939, George VI speaks to the nation. For the second time in the lives of most of us, we are at war. We have tried to find a peaceful way out of the differences between ourselves and those who are now our enemies, but it has been in vain. Despite the fact that Buckingham Palace is bombed nine times during the Second World War, the royal family refused to leave London. 
George VI's younger brother, the Duke of Kent, has married the Greek princess Marina, who, like himself, is a descendant of the father-in-law of Europe. The Duke of Kent is in the Air Force during the war when tragedy strikes. My father was killed in a flying accident in Scotland in 1942 when I was not when I was a few weeks old, so I never knew him. The Duke of Kent leaves three children, including Prince Michael of Kent. Prince Michael, who has his own consulting company, is Queen Elizabeth's cousin and Prince Philip's great-nephew. Today, he lives in Kensington Palace in London. Princess Elizabeth has just turned 17 in 1943, and she will soon undertake her first solo official engagement. Princess Elizabeth, of course, was growing up in the war, and by the end of the war, she was 18. And she was, so to speak, through the schooling things. And I think she did quite a lot of semi-military training, learning to drive, learning how to maintain vehicles, change wheels, and all that kind of thing. And in 1945, the message is finally received that Germany has surrendered, thus bringing the Second World War to an end. A couple of years after the end of the war, Elizabeth and her family undertake an extensive foreign tour, and the princess enjoys her time in South Africa. Elizabeth turned 21 on the tour, and her thoughts are turning more and more to marriage. Elizabeth presents her fiancé shortly after her return from South Africa, the Greek-Danish Prince Philip. Fate, you could say, uh, brought them together, but the interesting part was in this context that they were both descendants of uh, King Christian IX. So you can say uh, history is still sort of repeating itself. The wedding takes place in Westminster Abbey in November 1947. And the couple's first child, Prince Charles, is born the year after. Two years later, the lively Charles is joined by a sister, Princess Anne. The last time Elizabeth sees her father alive is when she leaves him to fly out on an official visit to Africa. George VI has lung cancer. They turned one of the rooms of Buckingham Palace into an operating theater, and he was operated inside the Royal Palace. And then, unfortunately, after some time, he died while uh, the Princess of Wales was uh, in Kenya. The king was only 57 years old, and the new queen, now returning to Britain, is just 26. In the summer of 52, my mother took my two sisters and me to England for the first time. And we also, that was uh, very shortly after the Queen Elizabeth II had become queen. And we went to visit her, and we visited the Queen Mother, uh, and we visited old Queen Mary. We had tea one afternoon uh, at Marlborough House uh, with Queen Mary, where she lived. And I remember uh, they are seeing for the very first time a television set. And that impressed me a lot. Television has been in Britain for many years, and the following year, millions of people are able to watch the coronation from their own homes. In faith and truth, I will bear unto you to live and die against all manner of folks, so help me God. And the coronation is the most sumptuous the world has yet seen.
the family continues to grow, and Anne and Charles take good care of their little brother, Andrew. A lot of Elizabeth's time as queen is taken up on official business. She meets with everyone from presidents to artists. And in 1964, Prince Philip has the pleasure of presenting the prize for the best beat group to the Beatles. And the couple's last child, Edward, is born in the same year. Prince Charles studies archaeology and history at Cambridge, and here he loves to perform in a number of various ways. Charles has his sons William and Harry together with Princess Diana, and as the oldest, William will one day follow his father as king. In the next episode, we will follow Dagmar, who, like Alexandra, is a daughter of the father-in-law of Europe. Dagmar becomes Tsarina of Russia, and her son later becomes Tsar Nicholas II and suffers a gruesome fate. Nicholas II was weak, but somehow he was down to earth, even if he had no knowledge of what was going on. Whereas the Empress was totally lost in her mystical clouds, she had no link with reality whatsoever. Thank you for listening to this episode of the History Express podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please look in the show description notes for a link that will allow you to help support the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time, have a great day.